For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Our guest today is known on social media as a former McDonald's corporate chef. He's also appeared on a handful of TV shows and can currently be found on Dungeons and Dragons cooking show Heroes Feast. Please welcome Chef Mike Harris to Epic Hey-o! Realms. How are you doing? And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> How are we? Good, good. So you've gone from corporate chef, social media person, D&D, TV. There's got to be like a really cool, interesting backstory to kind of how you got started in this entire journey that you've had. You want to kind of catch us up with like how you got into cooking and, and, and that? Absolutely. So like many young aspiring chefs, I grew up like with cooking with mom and grandma. I always knew I wanted to be a chef and open up my own restaurant. And I worked, you know, I took home ec in junior high, one of the only boys in the class. I took every foods class available in high school, was part of this thing called Pro Start, where I got to start working early in restaurants, got all this training, get to college. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to work in a restaurant and be a, own my own restaurant. The chances of success are pretty slim. Also, I play guitar and I wanted to play guitar in a metal band. So <laughs> nights, weekends and holidays, that's show night. So I couldn't be in the back flambéing or doing whatever. I got to be up in the front melting faces. So I somewhat fell into the uh, the R&D world there. Um, but it mainly it was because I became interested in sort of the food science product development type world. Uh, I went to Johnson and Wales in Providence, Rhode Island. So I have degrees in culinary arts and culinary nutrition. So I could have been a registered dietitian had I finished clinicals or did wanted to go down that uh, path, but I did not want to do that. Um, so I got an internship at a food manufacturing place here uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. They offered me a job before even graduating. I had to go back for my last trimester of school. And then since 2006, because I'm old, I have been in this R&D chef world for many, many years now. What is kind of the difference between uh, like a corporate chef or an R&D chef from like, a, you know, you go into a kitchen and you've got the chef running the kitchen at, the, at oh, a yeah. restaurant. What's the, what's the big differences? The biggest difference is nobody is going to my restaurant to see Chef Mike's interpretation of a dish of any kind. I am always making something for a specific customer, a brand, or based on capabilities of the company that I work for. So most of the time, although I have my own opinions on things and can try to influence in an appropriate manner, like what the food should be and how it tastes, 
my opinion does not matter. I am making it for the other folks. So I have done everything from the all natural, organic, paleo, gluten free, no artificial anything for whole foods consumers. And then I've made the other things where it says cheap and water preserved last as long as it can Walmart prepackaged food item. Uh, I was a corporate chef for McDonald's for a while. Only most people on TikTok know that because on my other social media platforms, the, the algorithm doesn't care as much. Right. So I, I do all my other stuff there. But really the biggest learning curve for any like restaurant chef that's getting burnt out is you need to realize that you are cooking for other people. And if somebody else wants it cheaper, somebody wants it, uh, you know, a different kind of, oh, chef, we can't have it that spicy. This is a national launch for some cheap kind of food item. Like you could call it spicy, but it's got to realistically be mild. So more people. Min- Minnesota spicy. Minnesota spicy. Minnesota. <laughs> I'm from Minnesota. So there you I've go. Never, we're, I'm going to use that. We're talking northern Minnesota spicy. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Like, oh, that black pepper. Yeah, that, it, that ketchup is spicy. Right. You better put that away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, it, you know, it's very dependent on the customer as well as there's data to support the decisions that are made, whether that's consumer testing, panels. You know, all this other people are giving their opinion because you are feeding masses. So you are able to acquire data to and use that for actionable decisions and whatever you're making, whatever you're doing. So it's uh, very different than uh, working in those restaurants. Yeah. Well, we compare corporate chef and chef. What about a cook to a chef? Because everybody I talk to, wherever they are in the food industry business, they've all got a different line as to what the difference between a chef and a cook are. Uh, I I was always brought up on a, a, a chef is, is tr- like schooled, trained from a school to, to do that stuff and like run a kitchen. Whereas a cook is just the person who works in the kitchen, usually under the chef. What is your definition? Because like I said, everybody's got a little bit of a different definition. So what's your difference in the two? I would, and both of them are incredibly important. There are different skill sets that, you know, there are some cooks who can cook better than the chefs as far as day-to-day making it happen. But the line I draw is a chef has to be the boss, the leader, and the creative all at the same time. A cook may be able to replicate a chef's recipe over and over, make it as efficient, as fast. They can prep fast. They know how to set things up. They are not necessarily in charge of creating the recipe, which also includes food cost, ordering the ingredients. They're usually they're spending the money. You know, a lot of times the executive chef is he's the owner as well, but not all the time. Um, but a chef's job is to create the team, teach understand strengths and weaknesses. Sometimes you're marketing, sometimes you're customer service. You're the one who has to go out in front of the public and talk about your food. If somebody wants, oh, I'd love to speak to the chef about this meal. Sometimes you could get a, a rugged cook who is amazing, but you put them in front of people and maybe they're not the best at presenting the thing. Um, and so really the chef kind of knows how to create the recipe with all those other requirements, um, you know, and, and knows how to influence a team to ultimately deliver the food that they want. Where again, a cook might be amazing. I'm an amazing home cook. 
I cook all of my grandma's recipes and I've been cooking them for 10 years. I read the card. I've done it so many times I can replicate it where yeah. a chef is blank slate. Maybe they take that recipe and change it around or create something from scratch based on business needs. Like I know my restaurant's opening on this corner and I know there's a lot of high income traffic driving through. So they may want to upscale things a little more. I'm trying to make gastro pub bar food for just the people drink a old style in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, so that's a very different. So they can know their consumer base and make adjustments where, again, a cook can crank out stuff uh, based on the leadership of a chef. And I still am a little old school where I don't care about the college degree. I have one. It helped me on my career path. But I know plenty of chefs who did not go to school for culinary and actually learned like a trade. It is still very much, in my opinion, yeah. a trade type uh, job where the schooling comes in when you get to the R&D side of it, the food science stuff yeah. that I have to deal with, where that culinary education did help in that scenario. But a pure restaurant chef, in my opinion, does not need to go to school to get the title of chef. And I think uh, I forget who there's a, a famous chef who quoted like, you're not a chef until somebody else who is a chef calls you chef when you're not in your kitchen. So if you're like, you know, meeting uh, Gordon Ramsay and you're out at a bar and he, and, oh, chef, nice to meet you. That's some street cred. Yeah. And, uh, so that's a funny little quip that uh, some people use, but uh, that's kind of my my line of this of distinction between the two. All right, fair enough. Of the three, which one do you think is the most challenging of jobs of careers? Oh. To be a cook, um, to be a chef, or to be a corporate chef or R and D chef? Physical, physical wise, would be a cook. You're the one on the line. Day in, day out, you have to worry about speed. You're the one burning yourself more, cutting yourself more. Um, I would say research chef is more mentally draining uh, because there's a lot of science, data, paperwork, and all that stuff. And then I think like a Gordon Ramsay executive chef is maybe a little more emotionally um, draining because it's your name. Yeah. If everything goes downhill, it's your fault. Where I work for big brands, ingredients go into. So usually nobody knows I'm the one working on the thing. Because mm -hmm. again, it's not really my name on the door. So I think each of them have a little different kind of taxing on you in, in certain manners. So, you know, there are, I, I spend a lot of time in restaurants with my knees and my feet and burns and burn marks up and down my arms from pans and all that. So that's certainly physical, but the other ones have their issues as well. Gotcha. When you were going to school, did you, did you have classes or learn how to do like presentations or in, in doing corporate chef work for big businesses? Do you have to do big presentations in front of like an office and stuff like that? Because you seem very much um, gifted for giving presentations or explaining things or, you know, talking to people about the food. Is that something you learned or is that just something you've always had? 
Um, I think that's something I always had because early on in my life, not only did I get into tabletop RPGs, which we, here we are, mm-hmm. uh, I actually started with Hero Quest, was my first entry into kind of the role playing game, and then I started playing old school. I think, I think it was second edition, maybe it was third edition before 3.5. Uh, playing in high school or in junior high with like my friends and all that stuff. But also I very much say what I learned being in a band, being on stage in front of an audience made me a lot more comfortable in most scenarios because I'm busy playing and throwing guitars around my shoulder and screaming. And I never had hair, but like pretend like (laughs) I got hair and doing all that. So I've never, I've never been afraid of like being in front of an audience. I actually am more comfortable in front of a lot of people than face-to-face kind of scenarios. Not so much podcasts because I got, I got a screen and a camera yeah. in the way. Um, but I have absolutely, I'm very comfortable talking to large audiences. I feel I'm better at playing off of like responses, a little giggle here. I'm going to point to this person there. And I very much am the same person, whether I'm talking to, you know, friends and family, or if I have high powered CEOs in the room, I will make the same jokes and try to make them laugh and be entertaining, even when it's a dry corporate dollars and cents just kind of thing. Um, So I do have I I am self-assessing my skill of uh, perception uh, I'm pretty uh, pretty advanced and in with insight onto how people are acting and how I can respond to them in a positive manner. Because again, there are plenty of people in my industry that are geniuses in food science level who cannot sexy describe a food item at all whatsoever. It's data. Here's the analytical info. Yeah. I know how to talk to them in a manner much different than a general public, but, you know, throughout my career, it's very much presentation, presentation in front of a variety of audiences, as well as like trade shows. And, you know, I've been in more like food sales roles. So I do have to kind of talk about that in my everyday life, which RPGs, specifically tabletop RPGs, absolutely can help you in that scenario. If you are uncomfortable being the public speaker, play a bard who is, uh, right. you know, very much charismatic and try to be in that world for practice. It is a wonderful tool to kind of learn a skill set that you might not have in a more comfortable setting. Yeah, for sure. What do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions people have about your job versus others? I know a lot of people are like, oh, you're you know, on TikTok, you're a McDonald's corporate chef. You're not really a chef. Like, yep. is that the most, the biggest misconception or is that just on that social media platform? Do you have other huge misconceptions that people have? Um, I think the biggest misconception is that like two things, they blame me for food being cheap, bad, inexpensive, or filled with ingredients they don't like. When I make those products, they are not for those people. Don't buy them. I also make all the things you would want to eat with no artificial anything, no preservatives. I've developed like commissary style recipes that are chef inspired that would go in like a deli of of a small deli where they make everything from scratch. 
So I make those two, but they assume just because I work for a McDonald's that I'm evil and I'm doing these things. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to work for McDonald's, not only because in my industry, that's like working for Apple or working right. for the big three game studio, you know, working for big PlayStation, Xbox or Nintendo on the resume. It's one of the most recognizable brands in the world. It's right. top 10. And, um, you know, it's the biggest restaurant chain in the world. I wanted to get into that environment to make things better, to try to make tastier food and change things and maybe teach crew or people like quality levels. So there's a lot of misconception on the quality level of a McDonald's food item when they are actually probably more regulated and worry about consistency and specifications more than most companies do. So um, everybody wants to sue them. Everybody wants, I gotcha. See, look at this. So they are very smart in how they do business. Um, so that's probably one big misconception there is, um, you know, my role in the machine that right. is making all these items and, you know, I was not an executive of in any capacity. No. So a lot of times I'm told we need something at this price point with these ingredients. Somebody reviews it and they say, nah, make it this way. OK, so I, I did get burnt out by the end of my uh, my time there of like, listen, I have no more influence here and there's no career advancement. I'm going to go elsewhere for yeah. roles. So. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's certainly a little misconception there. Jumping back over to D and D, what is it about D and D that really makes you makes you love it? Makes you get into D and D or any other RPG, tabletop RPG? My favorite thing is to create characters that are different from me, so I have a different experience. I have to think different. It's new to me. So you kind of learn, you know, I am not book smart by any means. I am resourceful. Um, so any any intelligence-based character is different than who I am at my core. I also like adding ridiculous flaws to characters that not necessarily make it difficult, but it might. Like, I'm not a min-maxer. I don't want to make the mo break the game. Right. I want to kind of suck because then that's fun scenarios of like, Man, uh, why is this paladin just trying to be as sneaky as possible when he's got full plate armor on? That's not how it works. But like, you know, he's a paladin who's trying to tiptoe around. I am very sneaky. What are you talking about? And has this misconception or uh, I played a character once. So sometimes I do get the chef kind of like, uh, you know, background or anything like that. So I said to the DM one time, okay. I want my character to always smell like delicious barbecue. So if we're out in the wilderness, if we're somewhere, people are, that smells good. And almost right. grab it. Oh, it's almost like a beacon that is <laughs> gravitating towards the character. That's not optimal at all, but that makes for a fun role-playing experience. Especially when the dragon's like, hmm, you smell tasty. Yeah. Mm, delicious. <laughs> Hickory human. Delightful. And, I most of the games I play are home games, very homebrew. So I am not an expert at, you know, D&D &D lore per se. Because yeah. all of the games I've been playing for, I've been 
most recent I've been I play in a three five edition and I DM a five E and both are very homebrew. So I'm not even experiencing like, you know, direct settings from uh DD lore. Like it's lights and we we do incorporate it. Right. Um so that's a more of a creative outlet for me as opposed to just following the, you know, the game modules and things like that. So for me, it's also that creative outlet to make a universe and a story and try to get my players to follow my plans, which they never do. And then I got to come up with a new thing because they ruined it. And now I don't know what to do. I like being in that kind of setting. It's almost improv which is, uh, I think, a skill a lot of people should practice as well. Yeah, for sure. So here's a question for you. When you're role playing, do you prefer and this is this is a standard question I ask to anybody who role plays. Do you prefer to GM or be a player? You know, at this point because I am I've been DMing the 5e, I like to be a player so that I don't have to prep everything as much. So that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Because right now we're still doing it virtual because I got some friends that moved away and we still want the game going. Right. I have to make sure, you know, we play, unfortunately, like once a month, but we do eight to 10 hour session once a month. So we're we're filling a day and I need to keep things going. Uh, And I have overhead cameras and settings and pieces and, you know, doing all that. So it's a lot of work. And with dad life now, it makes it a little more difficult. Yeah. So I do like, uh, you know, potentially playing a little more. Also, because I've been playing the same games for quite a while, I'm a uh, a Grey Guard Paladin right now in my 3-5 edition. So still lawful good, but I'm at a level now where I can start maybe lying a little bit and I'm forgiven by my... Uh, my the the god Ilmener that I worship and things like that. So it's getting a little more fun, but paladins are still a little limited as far as all the things they could do compared to a wizard or right. uh, you know things like that. Um, I'm just a big old beefcake tank that takes all the hits. <laughs> I'm at the point now where I tell like all the casters like fireball on top of me i'm i i'm gonna you know get everyone to be fine i'll be fine and i could take the hit so just rain make it make the pain you know do what you got to do um so i would like to play some other characters that i haven't had as much experience playing just to i think that would help me as a dm as well to really like grow from a level one i always like starting you know a day zero day so we just understand what's going on and start from level one and grow because then I could build my character how I want. Yeah. As opposed to like, let's just do a level 20. Here's all the things you could do. I don't, I'm okay. Let's figure it out. But, I've always uh, been a, I've always been a supporter of start out low levels because you get all these weird, unique pieces of gear, or magical items that you wouldn't have gotten if you just built your character at level 20. And sometimes yeah. they get forgotten. You're like, you know, they're like, here's this big hard puzzle of whatever. It's like, well, I got this one item at level three that'll just get us bypass this. Yeah, and the like, gym's like, oh, what? I oh, forgot about I that. that. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, a couple of movable rods here and there. I right. got a, you know, I, again, I make up a lot of things. So there's this hole that you could throw on a wall and you could like see and walk through a little wall. You know, I, I, uh, I think there's actual stuff in the game, but there's a, um, 
the yellow submarine, the Beatles cartoon where he's, they got these holes and they're putting their hands through and kind of doing all that fun stuff. So like, I like incorporating my own goofy, goofy things in one game. Uh, I actually got to play with B Dave Walters where he was a guest on Ascension um, where I got the cloak of wind blowing or something so it's just a cloak that when you activate it it's just like cool looking like yeah it's like billowing in the wind <laughs> yeah it just looks awesome like that's a great item to have that's very useful if you're trying to be charismatic and i was a because again i'm making characters that aren't optimal i was a goliath monk so i was strength based you know advantages of being a goliath but a monk is dexterity based uh so it did those did not add up, but it made for like a cool kind of character in, in that regard. So yeah, that's fun. Are there any other cross genres with D D that you're a fan of or that you consume, whether it be, you know, authors and novels or video games or or anything like that that you're a big fan of? I am a big fan. I'm I've always been a console gamer. I always gravitated more to the PlayStation side. That's just me. So God of War. You know, The Last of Us, uh, I right out of college, I spent way too many nights doing Call of Duty, Modern Warfare. I think I was ranked in the top 10,000 for like a week or two. And Which then, is still like, impressive. When you think, when, you, know, when you look at the I mean, numbers, that's an impressive feat. That is pretty good. Like I was, I was crushing it, but not in a competitive, in a competitive scenario, I would not do great against an elite team. Right. It would not be, uh, you know, this was general lobby when you're smack talking and stuff like that. Um, I grew up with, a, you know, even before original Nintendo, my uncle had Odyssey, which was, I think, after Atari came out, it was the other, like, beginner. Then I had Sega Master System, and, you know, then very much gravitated PlayStation-wise. So a lot of the old JRPGs, like Suikoden, uh, you know, Final Fantasy VII I grew up on and all yeah. that stuff. Uh, and then in college, also hit Counter-Strike a little hard uh, in the dorm, that caused a couple uh, a couple late night, early morning issues. But I've always played video games as kind of my decompress. You know, some people need a beer when they get home. Some people like punching back. I always was just like, I want to play some games yeah, uh, to kind of decompress. So I, I've, you know, the Arkham series was fantastic. I've played all kinds of different games and stuff like that. But. Including Neverwinter. You played Neverwinter. Never At least you, you've uh, mentioned yes. that. that I've, you know, in PC, a uh in college yes nice. i have the original box i think in my closet right now of like the old pc gamer you know pc gamer rated it whatever stars right, right. got it hidden somewhere nice yeah you had mentioned that on the show that you're working on working in heroes feast you mentioned that you yes. spent some extra time playing neverwinter nights and i think there was a, there was a question no spoilers there was a question that involved uh the city of neverwinter and you uh you're like oh yeah i I played that game a little expensively. <laughs> I dabble, I dabble a little bit. So um Heroes Fees came about because I also did due to the pandemic, I lost my job because after I left McDonald's, I worked at another place for about five months. And then uh in March, global pandemic hits, and I wasn't there long enough to like have tender like, well, because of all the things going on in the world. 
you know, here's the separation. I got a little package deal. It was not great. Yeah. So then during pandemic, I had to figure out what to do with my life to provide for families. Yeah. So that's when I created the YouTube channel because I was like, all right, I had a little bit of social media following due to working for McDonald's, leveraging that, getting some brand deals, working with uh, some companies to do all that kind of content creator world. Um, so that kind of, I did learn a little about how content is made and things like that partnerships with D and D because I always talked about my love for Dungeons and Dragons on all the social media stuff. Yeah. I think I got a little bit of a following again, somebody who works for McDonald's likes video games and tabletop RPGs, real humans work there. Wow. (laughs) A little bit of like following because of that. So then, um, you know, Two years go by or whatever, and I get a call from a studio saying, hey, Chef Mike, what's up? It's so-and-so from E1. Oh, cool. That's awesome. We Google searched Dungeons & Dragons, Chef, and you're the first name that popped up. We're creating a TV show based on the cookbook Heroes Feast. was wondering if you'd like to host. (laughs) Okay, let's make it happen. So at that point, I have the job I'm in now, which is still a big old corporate R&D job. Nobody's ever heard of the company unless you're in the food industry. And I had to make sure it was okay that I'm on TV. And they're like, yeah, I mean, go ahead and do your thing. So I ended up, uh, yeah, hosting a cooking show about uh, based on a cookbook that I did not write or anything to do with or and. I did not cook any of the items before the cameras rolled. I was going to so, ask you about that. Did they, I yeah. guess I was going to say, did they like give you the cookbook and be like, Hey, here it is. And you were like, Oh, I should try these out. Or is it just like, they gave me the, the day cookbook to kind of review. They were like, look at some recipes that you'd like to make. We have some ideas that we want to do based on what the authors want. Um, but the point of the show is that we are learning how to make it together. So a lot of it's edited out and you might see it a little more in the earlier episodes than the later of me having to look in the book on what to do because this was also filmed after the writer's strike, but before the actor's strike. Right. So I could not have, there was no script, no prompter, no monitor, nobody could feed me lines. And until maybe eight or so episodes in, I had to get permission to write verbatim the words of the cookbook on a whiteboard so that I didn't have to just skim through the pages. So it was, Hey, you're going to host a cooking show. Awesome. You just do it. Yeah. Just host the show. So the whole thing was pretty much improv from the very beginning. Yep. hundred percent. Sujata. I never met Sujata before. You know, we met three days before starting the film. We, she's never hosted a cooking show and is not a cook at all. So it's, oh, we got a co-host who doesn't know what they're doing either. So it would, the point of the show is very much, hey, and you'll you'll see, I think our shtick ended up being like, hey, Sujata, if you cut the onions a little wrong, what do you think is going to happen? And she's like, it's going to explode. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. Let's figure it out. Um, and the way the show was made. We are almost exclusively eating the thing we are making. There's no staging other than things that took like five hours, like ribs and stuff like that. I would go in a little early and look at the book and be like, okay, let's make it real quick. This pudding's got to chill for, you know, five hours. Yeah, you better make it first thing so that way it's ready for, okay, I never made it. Let's, uh, I need this. Um, But we are eating the thing that we made 
in order of how it is filmed, which is very different than most cooking shows too. There's not a crew of chefs in the background making all the things and swapping plates. We're trying to time everything and hey, uh, how long is this break? Because the thing's cooking. It might be overcooked. We got to hurry up. And I had to juggle all that while learning how to host a cooking show for the first time. So that was a lot of fun. A lot of improv, again, that kind of helped a little bit. Um, Playing Dungeons and Dragons and knowing, like, going with the flow and figuring things out. So, Did you get any direction as for, like, face this camera, move to that camera, look over this way, we're going to reposition you and where you're sitting and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, we had, there were beats. So they were like, hey, and this this is going to be the cold open. Uh, play with these toys and talk to Sujata about what? Whatever. Yeah. Cool. All right, the next scene, we're going to introduce our guests. This is their names. Here's a little card. Keep it down there. Try to remember it. I cannot remember people's names ever, ever. Right. So, and Sujata kind of figured that out too. I'm like, I can't remember these names. And it became a joke where I would like point to people. I know everything about the person. Oh, there's our safety guy. Yeah, he's in the MMA. He's jacked, but he actually loves cooking. What's his name? I forgot his name. And I felt like a jerk. And she'd be like, no, that's what so-and-so or this cameraman. This guy over here loves licorice. I hate licorice. We had a thing where somebody made me eat it. But if I know if I've got licorice, I got to give it to this guy because he knows. I'm like, what's his name again? I forgot his name. So, like, I feel bad as a person for not remembering people's names. But then I tell them stories about, like, I'm paying attention. I know about you, things you like, how you act, what we talked about. I just can't remember your names. So that was a hard thing to deal with while, like, okay, camera's rolling. Introduce the person. I'm like, uh, and I would say people's that, you know, if it's Matthew Lillard or Kari Payton, okay. If yeah. it's people I never met before that are like more D and D influencer type or some of Sujata's friends, like, uh, I get super nervous that I'm messing things up. I also early on got some notes that I talk way too much. Okay. They're like, you need to let guests talk. You need to let Sujata talk. And remember, we're editing this, editing, editing this. So you need to give us some breath between what you say so that we can make it in a thing. Because right now you're just just Going unloading on. Yeah. on us, which I'm doing now because <laughs> I love chatting. Um, but they're like, you, usually the problem we have is people don't talk enough. And that is much harder to deal with than you're saying a lot of things just calm it down because again i'm used to live i'm used to presenting at trade shows where right. it's i need to keep people's attention and engaged and stuff like that so uh that was a fun learning curve as well it's just like just shut your mouth you don't have to answer everything you have a co-host she wants to talk too don't talk over your guest who's telling a story uh and so you'll see that that progresses uh in the show too we were talking before, you know, I got I get in trouble for talking to, to the guests before the camera's rolling. And we were talking to that when you watch the show in order, you see how we learn not just our cooking ability, right. but like the shtick, how we throw to cameras, yeah. looking at cameras, introducing people like we learned quite yeah. a bit. Team chemistry. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was fascinating on my end to see like, oh, yeah, now it's like. We right. got the beats down. We know what to do versus early on. 
chaos. Yeah. But, uh, I think they're all unique episodes. And- was there ever a plan for like, okay, Mike, your job is to talk about the food and talk about this. Sujata, your job, because you're not the chef to talk about this. These things are your job is to introduce the guests. Your job is to get the book or your job is to tell them to, you know, go sign the thing. You know, did you have certain roles ahead of time or was it just like, this is just kind of what you assumed as you went it along? Was, so it would usually be like, um, okay, uh, we're going to start the episode. And I'd look at Sujata like, you want to do it this time or should I do it? It's like, oh, yeah, I think I did it last time. You want to do it? All right. Hey, everybody. So it was just, okay. <laughs> we would decide at the moment, uh, like, hey, you want to introduce the people or should we introduce them? Oh, okay. Hey, can you help cook? Do you want to cut the onions? Sure, I'll cut the onions. None of that is planned. Almost exclusively everything was like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, you can, can you can you cook good? Do you want to cut the thing? No, nah, I don't want to cut. All right, chef, my, I'll come in. I'll cut it. And here's how you do it. So it was very much just kind of random. It was a fun environment. Do you the think only- if there is a if you do if there is a season two, do you think that you guys it would be a little bit different? Do you think things would change? Do you think it or do you think it would still be exactly the same? I would want little things to change for my benefit to make it easier. So like if we had a prompter that told me the next ingredient and the measurement, so I can just look at that and look in a camera and say the thing of what we're at. I, I don't necessarily think we should be fed any more lines. Cause I think now that we got the shtick of it, like that's, uh, that's pretty cool. The thing I wanted to say about like the environment and the vibe was like, everyone was having a great time. If our show started filming a week later than it did, it would have been shut down because that's when the SAG strike happened. Yeah. So as much as the crew was hardest work, as far as I know, was working hard, everybody doing what they could to get things done, running around with a looming, I'm we're all going to be out of a job next week. Right. Kind of scenario. So like I'm going back to my R&D job, not in california you like real life and i have a job where all of these actors the crew and all the people are like we don't know what's going on so like yeah that was kind of hard to deal with there um but i really wouldn't want to change much of the show other than like i mean uh, they they unloaded a warehouse of cooking gear and stuff that they had in storage so the morning of would be like all right what pot do you want Uh, i guess this one so I would take that and, you know, maybe it wasn't the optimal choice at the time. And I'm such a like, let's get it done. I'll I'll use this. I don't care. There's one uh, scene where I think I'm trying to cook fish and the pan is way too small yeah. and it's not heated up <laughs> enough. Like there's no sizzle when I put it in and I'm just like, and this is the fish we got. So I got to just do it. So like some of that, maybe a little culinary support in the background to make some things going. I know I said uh, I said a cup was 16 ounces in one of the episodes when it is not. That was not edited out. It's in the episode. I watched it and I'm like, that's not true. That's not true. Again, nobody, <laughs> nobody's giving me any lines or anything. So, um, but no, I think I, I wouldn't want to change much of it other than, like I said, having a prompter for cooking steps or maybe the beats or a timer or something of that nature, but I would not want to necessarily go full scripted mode. I could do that, but I think that would lose a little of the like fun vibe of here. We're cooking together in this kitchen. Yeah. 
Is there any uh, any guests that you're like, I really wish if we if we did a did a second season, like I'd love to have this person as a guest because they'd fit in perfectly from whatever, whether it's social media or other authors, because I know the I, from where I'm looking, I'm pretty sure that the authors of the book are really the only authors that are on the show. Um, yeah, so social media um, people, actors, any of that kind of other other people that you're like this, they got to be on here. I uh, am a big Critical Role fan, so yeah. any of the Critical Role fast would be amazing. Any of the D20 crew, like, they're any of those folk who are amazing storytellers and improv in that setting, I think would be amazing on the show because it's, we're, we're going to figure it out. Let's just, let's just yeah. play and yeah. see what happens. Um, who would be fun? I, um because I do a little more on the TikTok side, there's that guy Chef Reactions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know who you're talking about. I know his real name and where he lives, but I will not tell anybody. Yeah. But it would be fun to get somebody like him on the show. Um, I would like Mythical Chef Josh would be fun. Uh, Andy Lunique, who we were talking about, maybe a little more gaming uh, person. But, you know, I the only... And I don't think it aired yet, so I don't know if I should spoil it. But we had, because uh, I think I posted pictures, or at least they know that they are a guest. But I grew up on Reading Rainbow. Yeah. And uh, somebody's daughter was a guest. So Mika Burton was a guest. And Sujata Day actually directed a movie that's on Netflix called Definition Please, which highly recommend you give it a, give it a try. And uh, LeVar Burton is in that movie. So she directed him in a scene and Mika Burton did not know that. And I was like, yeah, Mika, you didn't know you never met Sujata. Your dad's in a movie. What? Really? (laughs) Mika Burton calls up LeVar Burton on the phone while we're filming and starts talking about this, that and the other. And I don't know if this I won't spoil what if. If it's I on there or not, I hope they leave in what happens because awesome. it was like a moment for me. And I don't think I even get I don't get starstruck like Matthew Lillard was awesome. Kari yeah. Payton, uh, you know, they're all awesome. Um, but even just talking to him over the phone and the one second conversation we had, like I almost did get a little emotional. Like I grew you. You helped inspire right. me to read books as a, and right. I, you know as a young lad spent a lot of time by myself sometimes because you know just that maybe i didn't have all the friends that i wanted to early on so books and reading and fantasy and imagination were a big part of my childhood so even slightly interacting with lavar burton was like a moment for me so i hope it's still in the episode so catch a you know take a watch and and we'll see have there been any thoughts you talked about? We talked about these other chefs and we talked about the cookbook and how, like, you didn't write the cookbook. You didn't work on that. Have you had thoughts about putting out your own cookbook or, like, a geek-themed cookbook of your own that might not necessarily be titled D&D or anything? Just whatever you wanted. Well, I am signed on through Inside Editions to write a video game-themed cookbook already. I've already, you know, submitted an outline. Uh, and if you know Inside Editions, they do a lot of the branded cookbooks uh, that are out there. So I am 
working on a maybe one of the video greatest video games of all time in my opinion based uh cookbooks right now nice and i think that's, that's awesome. all i'm allowed to that's say odd. hey you're not allowed to say more just don't say more i don't want to either i don't want either of us yeah. getting in trouble <laughs> just i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna hint all i right. want to so bad but i ain't even gonna hint but i am working on a cookbook right now so i have another question and and i've always i've always been curious about this you often see in in cooking shows in judging shows or competition shows people are talking about um how they taste things or this should taste like this or this shouldn't taste like that how do you how do people balance their personal opinions of what they personally like you know maybe one person likes something to be a little bit more on the burnt side whereas you know professional judges would be like oh this is a little this is overcooked this is overdone this is underdone some people like it like that do they train you as to this is what perfect is regardless of people's personal preference there is the restaurant culinary chef side where you got to have your steak medium rare that's optimal or even rare because somebody said so then there's the whole R&D side of me of I'm cooking for a guest and I will make it however they want it. So there is actually an episode where we are cooking actual steaks and Sujata says, Chef Mike, I hope you're not mad at me, but I prefer my steak well done. And I said, I'm not here to judge at all. As a chef, if you want a well done steak, I am going to teach you how to make the best well done steak possible you don't want a big fat boy if you're trying to make well done you pound it out you cut it open you might want to cook it on a lower heat so that you're not burning the outside before it's fully cooked on the inside you may want to marinate it a little more or add a sauce to it because it might not be as juicy as the other thing but the point again of the show which directly reflects my opinion is we are judgment-free zone as far as I am concerned, yeah. if you want vegan, vegetarian, for health reasons, for whatever reason you want that, if you just decided I don't want to eat seed oils, which, again, I have my opinion on scientific opinions on that, but I know there's a lot of internet influence on people and what they eat. If you don't want that in a thing, I will make it for you without that in it. And I hear here are some great alternatives to that. Yeah. So there are plenty of other chefs, other cooking shows where like, that's wrong. You know, a Gordon Ramsay yelling in your face that this is wrong. It should be this way. This show is the and my vibe is the complete opposite of that. What do you want? I'm going to show you how to make it the way you like it the best I can. Here's some culinary tips and tricks on how to do that. So that way it's not just like, no, you can't have a steak well done. Right. That is not, that does not compute. Here's the steps in order to try to make it as best as possible. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Say you have a character. Who's your, who do you think is your most iconic character that you've made in, in role playing? Yeah. My most iconic character yep well i'll tell you about the character that i've been playing now for probably 12 years in my 3.5 edition perfect his, he is a lawful good paladin named hendrix of the white fire and he has his trusty steed uh woodstock which 
now you obviously can relate to the all the Jimi Hendrix references on the name and all that. Uh, again, he's a lawful good paladin where I dipped two levels in Psychic Warrior only because I wanted to be able to enlarge. And I think Thick Skin is a Psychic Warrior. You get like a couple points in that so I can enlarge, enlarge and shrink if I wanted to. That way, if I'm a tank and I enlarge, I have all this area for the baddies to come try to attack me. I tried to make optimal AC uh, so that way I could take hits and lots of uh, lots of life there. And then I think I'm I think I'm level 15 or 16 now. So we're getting up there uh, again. We've been playing for a lot of years, but it's yeah. once a month. Um, and I've been now transitioning to more of the gray guard type character where I was lawful good. This is, we would never do this, do that a little inexperienced, not only in life, but in the, uh, in the romance department as well. If you know what I'm saying? So younger lad who may not have had as many experiences as, as those others, but now as the story has progressed, he's growing into his armor he's understanding the value of you know pure evil you may need to bend your rules although in you know the gray guard scenario you you don't lose experience points for maybe dipping in a little lying a little intimidation turning your the other cheek and letting some of your um you know compatriots do some deeds that maybe you didn't seem fit uh, but due to what we're dealing with in the game and uh, you might need to let that happen to destroy ultimate evil that will ultimately hurt a lot more people. Yeah. Um, so it, he's kind of got that vibe and we are the heroes of the horn, which is our horny heroes. Uh, it's kind of the joke, but uh, the Hoth, we call that the Hoth game. And then in my game, uh, it's called the Heartsguard Saga because they are, there's a whole story, a homebrewed story behind it, but they mysteriously awoken with all these brands of this like heart on it. And it's definitely a good versus evil. Is ultimate good actually good? Or is, you know, there's all that kind right. of light and dark side uh scenario going on well, what about a great jedi although that is not true in canon depends I like on which canon I'm... you're talking about which that canon correct which... yeah freddie <laughs> prince jr says no and i go by <laughs> freddie prince jr um but i kind of like that idea of like if you go way too strict good that is an ideology that maybe can force evil, more evil to appear. So how do you balance that appropriately with emotion and things like that? So that's kind of what my heart's guard saga is about. Um, so that's a long answer. That is uh, a long answer. To, I asked that question for a reason. And here's the reason. The reason is, is you chef Mike have to cook his favorite meal. What, what do you design? What do you put together for that character? Oh, um, we're doing barbecue. Okay. I would say, I'd say you get, you get a seven or eight pound pork belly. Okay. You're going to maybe dry brine that with some, you know, kosher salt, keep it in the fridge for about four to six hours. You're going to put a nice rub on there. Not too spicy, not too sweet, but just about right. 
you're going to get a nice blend of woods because I don't want just mesquite or just I want some fruit woods in there as well. Okay. So maybe hickory, apple, cherry kind of mixture in there. You're going to smoke that for about nine hours until it's just about fork tender. But you're going you're going to take it off. You're going to cool it off. Uh, and then you're going to cut it into little squares and then you're going to put it back on the smoker for about a half hour. Then you're going to glaze it with a little sauce and then you're going to smoke it for another 30 minutes until it gets nice and tacky and sticky. And then you got some delicious little pork belly bombs that I would eat until I throw up to make room for more. That yeah. is what I would have. That, that's what that character would want? Oh, yes. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. People can find Hero's Feast on Plex and Freeve. Am I saying Freeve right? Is that how you pronounce Freebie. it? Freeve. is what it's called. So on Prime Video, there are also live channels. And it's the Freebie channel uh, in that. And there's the Dungeons and Dragons Adventure channel, which also has Faster Purple Worm Kill Kill, Kill, Kill yeah. and uh, Encounter Party. Along, you know, those were the three shows that were all made together uh, for that uh, for that station. But you can also find it on demand and live through Plex, which is a free streaming service. I think in the U.S. you can get it. I'm not sure about Canada, so sorry. Uh, my friends up north, you poutine w- eating wonderful humans. Mm, hopefully, it comes to yeah. Hopefully, it comes to you soon. But um, those are all on demand through Plex right now as well. New episodes are on Monday nights, which are tonight. tonight. Yeah, tonight's new episode is uh, Ify Wadiway, Wadiway, right? Ify Wadiway, and yes. then and Allison Hayslip, right? Are the two yes. guests that are on tonight's episode? Yeah. So some G four throwbacks for you. Yeah, yeah, I not old old G four like I was raised on. <laughs> right, second More. new G four. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. You have anything else coming up? Any other things you're working on? Touching, touching on? Got your hands into anything you can talk about? I should say. I think those are all the big things. So I got the working on a cookbook. So we got that going on. I got professional career mode and, you know, that's full time. I got two little daughters. So living my best, uh, my best girl dad life, trying to make sure that they're little butt kickers and, and won't take no crap from nobody. Yeah. And um, yeah, just you can find me on all the socials. And again, my last name is is uh, spelled just like it sounds. H-A-R-A-C-Z. Harris. Yeah, yeah. Polish. <laughs> You're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. Yes. Uh, Blue, you're Blue things. Sky. You're on everything. You're on everything. Yeah, LinkedIn. So if LinkedIn. you're a professional out there, get me on LinkedIn as too. Love, love using LinkedIn. There you go, guys. Go and check out Mike Harris in all of the places. Push all of the buttons. Yes. Uh, as I say, Mike, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, people I, that are watching I, the live stream, please stick around for the live stream Q&A. Get your questions in the live stream chat, and we will ones. get to them. Give some hard questions. Yeah. I want hard ones. Hard ones. Hard ones. None of these softballs that, that I've been throwing at. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Coming up, we're going to have Mike Mason from Chaosium Games. He's the creative director for Call of Cthulhu RPG. He's been designing RPGs for over 20 years. He's going to be joining us February 26th, that podcast will be available on the 27th. Also down the road, we're going to be having authors Christopher Schmitz and Deborah Wild, and of course, returning to the show, 
one of our good friends, the one and only creator of Forgotten Realms, Ed Greenwood, is going to be returning to Epic Realms. So please rate, review, subscribe. It helps us and helps our guests. So for our guest, Chef Mike Harris. What's that? Did I ruin everything? No, you I didn't. You over? didn't. I was gonna say you got some name dropping. I, 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 I drop. I drop all the names. Yeah, drop I'm all very, the names. Uh, very happy to be in this <laughs> list of uh, the prestige you have going on here. So. Hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm very glad you're here. And uh, this live stream Q and A is gonna be fun. Live stream Q and A, by the way, is always the guest's favorite part of the show. Just, just <laughs> so you know, Our, they the live stream chat always has the coolest questions. They beat me out every time. So everybody that's listening, please rate, review, follow, subscribe, push all of the buttons. It helps us. And it helps our guests. So, for the one and only Chef Mike Harris, I am Nick, and thank you for listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. <laughs> <laughs>